Thank you for taking the time to listen to another one of our podcasts. Today's podcast is an incredible interview with Manucha Palter. Before you get into this podcast, I wanted to share my reflections on this podcast with you all. It may seem as you listen to this podcast that here is someone who was just dealing with some depression or some sadness. It wasn't so intense. It wasn't so severe. She wasn't cutting or trying to commit suicide or anything extreme. The interesting thing is, as I reflected overnight on my interview with her, I realized something very powerful. The truth is, is that she was on that path. If her parents had not taken this approach immediately, who knows where she would be today. In her parents' words, she would have already been, God forbid, not with them anymore. So I guess what the message I'm trying to share here is that we as parents cannot wait until there's an extreme situation. We cannot wait until our child is, God forbid, self-harming or in the hospital. We need to be preemptive. We need to realize that what we see on the outside is not always what's going on in the outside, in the inside. Just like somebody who's struggling with cancer, it takes a while for us to actually realize that there's cancer in the body. And in the same way, we need to be preemptive about the way we parent our children. And if there are signs of sadness and signs of challenge, in whichever way we see it, we need to react and start being proactive about it. As you will see in this story, Manucha's parents do everything they can to save her life. And ultimately, that is what they accomplish. So sit back relax, and be ready to be inspired. Thank you for taking the time to listen. So hello and welcome to another podcast. Our previous podcast, episode number 14, was so well received and the feedback was clearly phenomenal. This idea that 20% of people are HSPs, highly sensitive people, or HSCs, highly sensitive children, really resonated with people. And many people wanted to know more information. They want more now that we know what an HSP is, so what do we do about it? Which we will discuss in our upcoming workshop that I have planned with your father. But um, I thought it would be interesting to follow up with interviewing Jochen Palter's daughter and to find out from her her view, what it was like growing up as an orchid, being a highly sensitive person, and how she perceived her childhood and how her parents effectively and successfully raised her and helped her through a difficult and challenging time in her life. You know, many times we hear from the parents how challenging, how difficult it is or was, yet very rarely do we get the opportunity to hear from the child's perspective what the experience was like for them and how they were able to climb out of a difficult and challenging time. And even though today she's no longer a child, we have the privilege that to have Manucha with us today. So it's with great pleasure that I introduce today Manucha Palter, who is 20 years of age, and she's going to share with us some answers and questions and share her story. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired. So welcome, Manucha. Thanks for being here. Your father made many references to you and your journey as an HSP prior and during the interview but we never actually quite got your story. 
And since then, this podcast has gone viral, I would say, because it's organic. It's not like either your father or myself have this huge following. And yet we have more than 1900 listens to date. And the most feedback from any interview we have done to date. So clearly this topic resonates with people. In fact, like I mentioned before, we're doing a workshop on this topic with your father on May 11th at 8 p.m. People can participate via Zoom, ask questions, and you can find out any details. If you'd like to sign up, it's not too late. You can go to www.jewishpeabody.com slash orchids, and you'll find the sign-up sheet, and you can join us for this workshop. Okay, but now to you, Menucha, the feature of today's conversation. Menucha Palter, daughter of Yechanan and Liba Palter. They live in Detroit, Michigan. Um, the oldest child of six children, and it's truly a privilege to speak with you. And I think the right place to start is by you telling us your story. Later, we can dive into the HSP component of it. And myself, as the mother of more than one HSP, I'm so curious to hear from you about your journey. So please be open with us and feel comfortable to be you and share with whatever you're comfortable to share about your journey. Okay, so um, I have notes here. So um, I kind of like went over before because I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss anything. Um, so I'm going to start from when I remember. Um, and when things, when I started to kind of feel a little bit different, um, was I had gone to one school, um, through seventh grade. Um, and in eighth grade, I made, I made a switch. Um, and in the beginning it was okay, but as time went on, I really feel like I, I just didn't fit in. Um, then I got into ninth grade and it was like then that I started noticing that I would take things really, really like personally and painfully. And I would like come home and tell my father about this crazy thing I heard in school. Um, and he would like, he would try to like explain it to me. And then like, we didn't realize it was an HSP then. So, um, we didn't even know about it. So he would kind of like try to explain to me saying like, either they didn't mean it like this or, or things like that. Um, at this time, how old would you say you were when you remember this? I was in ninth grade. So how old is that? Like four, 13, 14, I would yeah. say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so then I remember things like when I remember like this kind of journey beginning was um, I had an iPod and I discovered YouTube on it and I kind of took out all the anxieties and everything I was having in school and I kind of took it out like on YouTube and I would just watch and watch and watch and watch. Um, and I like, I was unhappy in school. So I was watching videos. And so that would make me even unhappier. Um, and slowly, like I began to lose sleep cause I would be like watching super late and then I would wake up early to go to school. Um, slowly I began to lose my appetite. Um, and one thing that like my parents had, my parents had started to notice that I was just sad all the time. And so my father would try to like, give me a hug and say like, oh, like, like, I love you and stuff like that. And in my mind, I was always like, if they knew what you were doing, which looking back, it was like, I was just watching stuff on YouTube, but then it was like the absolute worst thing ever. Um, I would always be like, if, if you knew what I was doing, you would never love me. Like you would, you would give me up. You would never, you would never take me. Um, so I felt like completely unloved, even though they were showing that to me, I was just like, you don't know everything. So there's no way that you can love me. Um, you don't mind if I interrupt you for a second. Your parents didn't know that you were doing this. This was kind of behind their back. Yeah. 
Okay. Because my 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 um iPod was blocked, but through this app, someone had posted a YouTube video, and then I was able to click on the video, and it brought me to YouTube. Right. So there's ways so, around. Have. Yeah, it wasn't purposeful. I just happened to find it, and then once I found it, I just completely like was watching and watching and watching. And I mean, like at some point there was nothing to watch anymore and I was just bored all the time, but it was like the only way that I knew how to kind of deal with my unhappiness at school. Yeah, makes sense. So I like, I don't remember too much from that time, but I remember that especially towards the end um, that like every single night I would just like pray. I was just like, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. I don't want to wake up tomorrow. Um, and yeah, and then I would wake up the next day and I would like live it and I was, I was like pretty unhappy. So um, then um, my parents had, so yeah, my parents obviously realized something was up. I was sad like all the time. My father said like my shoulders, my head was always down. I was just like not eating all that kind of stuff. Um, and so one night my father, like my parents came into my room they were like asking me questions. My mother like eventually left, my father stayed. And I somehow I just kind of burst out crying and I was like, I can't tell you, I can't tell you like what. And then my father was like, no, you can tell me. And I eventually like got out that I was like, I have YouTube on my phone, I've been watching it. And then after that came out, I thought that was the problem. Really, that was just what I was doing. But the problem was actually like the school and then not being happy, but I thought that that was the problem. And I was just like, yeah, and I've been watching and stuff like that. And he, and we, then I just cried for, I think like four or five hours, just like cried and cried and cried and cried. Um, and then I ended up throwing up cause I was just like so nauseous and tired and stuff like that. Um, but that was, that was when the journey began. Um, I remember after my heart feeling lighter, it was like, it actually felt lighter. It was crazy. After hours of crying and blowing my nose, my heart like actually felt lighter. And it was like, I still remember like how shocked I was because I didn't realize how heavy it had been until uh, I felt That's the lighter. incredible. So, so, cause some people will say that like, they don't like to cry because um, then they feel like they're digging into their sadness, but you're saying that crying for a longer period of time actually released it for you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was definitely like, I, I hadn't cried all those months. I had never cried. So, um, cause many times when you're in it, you just don't cry because crying is actually, I mean, it, I guess it's, it can be viewed as a negative thing, but really it means that you're in tune with your emotions or something like that in order to cry. So yeah, crying is definitely like a really good sign. And for me, it, I felt I did not even realize how depressed I was until I had let go of it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart feels so much lighter. Um, so yeah, that was really when the journey began. After that, we had a lot of long, we had like lots of long talks. I had tried some therapy and a week or so later, my father had suggested that I switch back schools. Um, and at first I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean? I left a year and a half ago. I can't just switch back. Um, but after I got over the shock of it, I was like, I switching back would be an absolute dream. I was going to switch back in 11th and 10th grade, but um, my principal, the principal who was in this other school um, said, you can, you can switch back this year, which was really good. So two weeks later, I had switched back. Um, and then like a little point that I wanted to make was, I think it's just something that Hashem did because as I was making this, I realized it. So between leaving my first school and going back to the school that I had been through all my life until seventh grade, I had gone to my grandparents' house just to kind of like be away for a week. And when I came back, I had lost my iPod. 
Um, and I it didn't have YouTube on it or anything anymore, but I really think Hashem was just like, you don't need this right now. And um, I just looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that was totally Hashem. And that was like, that was wow. so cool. Um, well, let, me, let me interrupt for a second and do one more yeah. question. Um, you shifted schools because of, if you don't mind sharing with us, was it a learning issue, social? Do you mind to share that information? No, no, no. Um, so we're Lubavitch and I had gone to a not Lubavitch school, um, my whole life. And so my parents had figured we'll send, cause the, the, uh, my parents didn't, the, there wasn't like really a Lubavitch school here that my parents wanted to send me to, but they figured that in high school and the boys for yeshiva, um, we would go to a Lubavitch place. So I was kind of the guinea pig. And so I went, it did not work out for me. My brothers do not go to Lubavitch yeshiva and my sisters will not go to Lubavitch high school because it didn't, it really didn't work out for me. Um, especially growing up in an outlaw school my whole life. But that was the only reason, like I had loved my school, loved my class, love, love, love. And I still do. So I was, I was like, I was very happy, but, um, and it was my choice to switch. Like it, they didn't force me to, but I was just like, yeah, I guess for Lubavitch, so why not? And then when it didn't work out, I was very, very happy to switch back. That's um, incredible. So it's a great message for parents to hear that even though we want our children to go to schools that have our values and our beliefs, not necessarily is it always the right fit for our child. I have to look at each child and say, what is good for my child? Does this school work for them? Even yeah. trial and error sometimes, like in your case, but you can, you can fix that. Even if you've made that mistake, there's always chances and, and opportunities to fix that and, and go back to a different place that you felt happier at, but you were from first to seventh. And so Hashem, with my father was so quick. Like I had told him what happened and two to three weeks later, I had already switched back. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And my principal was also very like accepting. She was like very, she was happy to have me back. So um, I was lucky that I got to switch back that year because in 10th grade, instead of coming to a new school, I had caught up everything in ninth grade and in 10th grade, I was like ready to go back. Um, and yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, at, at that point things were getting, oh, sorry. No, no, sorry for interrupting and thank you. Go ahead. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. So at this point, things were getting better. Um, I don't remember exactly why, but I did want to put this in because I wanted it's, it's just part of the journey, but I had stopped keeping Shabbos. It had started because I had like, I had known that on the radio, there was going to be like some concert playing and I wanted to tune in. So I like the first Shabbos, I kind of just listened to, to a little bit of it. And then the next Shabbos was a little bit more, but um, even though I was getting better, I had, I was not keeping Shabbos. And I think like that could be viewed as a negative thing. But the funny thing is that while I was on my, uh, without, while I was on YouTube in ninth grade and the whole, the whole time I was like, really like sad and not happy. I remember always waiting until Shabbos was over. Cause I couldn't wait to go back on YouTube. So then I had actually kept Shabbos. It was afterwards when things started getting better. I think I was just like, I kind of felt more free and I was like, well, why do I have to keep this? But I think it was more of just like, part of the journey I felt like okay now I get to kind of discover myself so even though it's something that would seem as a step back why is she doing this she's getting better um it was part of me getting better because when you start feeling okay to like explore yourself and explore different things now I have I mean looking back do I wish I would have kept Shabbos all the time I mean prop I mean yeah because Shabbos is I I have another friend who said she also had to, has done some stuff, but she's like, I always kept Shabbos because to me, that was the one thing. I knew that as long as I kept Shabbos, like I was going to be this from Jew and that was always my goal. So that's obviously, you know, that's that's great. Um, but for me, I just wanted to put that in because my journey was Shabbos because I ended up keeping it again and not keeping it again and I keep it now. So I wanted to kind of put it in to like explain what happened. I don't remember exactly 
why I decided not to keep it. It was so long ago. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just part of the journey. Well, thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable with us. Yeah. Um, so where was I up to? Um, so yeah, in 10th grade, Baruch Hashem, that was my best year in high school. I really, really liked my teachers this, that year, especially my English teacher. Um, and my father had like, I hadn't known, but he had known that I wasn't keeping Shabbos. And then a few months in towards the end of 10th grade, he had said, um, like he had, he had mentioned that like he heard some shuffling of like my video player. And then he said, it wasn't even like, like, I think my younger sibling was there. It wasn't, he like sat me down and said, Hey, this is, it was very casual. And he said, Hey, like I heard like, you're not giving me Shabbos. And I was like, Oh my gosh, she knows. And he's like, he's like, you've been doing it. I've known for a little bit. I was like, he, whatever, but it's, it's something that's important to keep. And even if like, you don't fully understand now, Shabbos is something very, very important. And I loved him and it's, I didn't need not to keep Shabbos. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep it. It's not such a big deal. Um, so then I was, and then I was keeping Shabbos again. So, so uh, how, so uh, let's go back. Let's reflect on that for a minute. Yeah. So he sat you down in a very casual kind of way yeah. and shared with you the importance of Shabbos and the beauty of Shabbos in a positive way. Yeah. And how did you feel? Did you feel like, oh, he's not going to love me. Oh, he doesn't love me. Or he does love me. I'm, I'm curious, like that, that conversation, if you can go back there for a minute, like very important for parents because parents yeah. are listening you know when your child tells you that you know sometimes your child will tell you if you have that kind of relationship that i'm not keeping shabbos right now or you found out by chance so you can get angry which is not going to be beneficial obviously but i'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you felt when he was saying all this to you yeah so when i had first realized he had known i was because he had brought it up in kind of not like a straightforward way so i was just like wait is, does he realize that I, that I'm not keeping it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, like it's, this is awful. This is terrible. But, um, the conversation was pretty short. Um, and it was pretty casual, but how did I feel in my mind? It wasn't such a big deal that to keep Shabbos again, cause I didn't really mind so much. And he had been also the fact that he had known for a long time, I had not said something right away. I kind of like appreciated that. I was just like, oh, he's known. So if he's known this whole time and he didn't immediately get mad at me, it means like I'm safe or whatever. I mean, he could have told me right away, but it was, and that wouldn't have been bad either. But um, it was more, the, the main point of it was definitely just the casual, like how casually he brought it up and how, um, and how he had just said that like Shabbos is something that's important and it's, it's okay if you don't understand it now, but it is something that's important to keep. Wow. Did that answer the question? Yeah, that's, that's very powerful. The, the lightness of it, the ease of it. And yeah. his, um, he was subtly telling you, this is not about love. I love you Shabbos or not. I love you unconditionally, but you will see that one day the Shabbos is the beauty of Shabbos is going to inspire you. And it's going to something you're going to want in your life. And he was just yeah. making it casual and that resonated with you. You felt yeah. the, the sincerity of it. There was no anger. There was no put down. There was no, you're a disappointment to me. Um, this is so painful for me to watch. It wasn't about him. It was about just matter of fact, Shabbos is a beautiful thing. Not always easy, but it really enhances our lives. Yeah. And, and you, and for you, that spoke to you. Yeah. And I was, I was in a good place in my life too. And it wasn't too hard to keep it. 
And I was just like, okay, why not? I was just really listening to music and watching some videos on like my DVD player. The second time I didn't keep it, I had Netflix and stuff like that. So it was a lot harder because there was a lot more, but this time it wasn't, it really wasn't so bad. Okay. So um, then at this point, I, I wanted to mention like my relationship with my mother. Um, so after that, like that night when I had like was crying with my father for hours, I had completely dropped my mother. So all we really talked about was what's for supper. What's this? What's that? I, I didn't, I'm guessing why is because I had been, my father, I had not been close with at all before this and my mother, I really had. So I'd seen this as a new part, a new journey in my life. And this journey was now just with my father. Um, also previously when I had mentioned to my mother, I don't really know if I want to keep sneeze. I don't, she had worse. I, I want, I want not sneeze pajamas. It was absolutely not. And then I begged for it. So then I got one pair of it and then, but I wasn't able to wear it downstairs and like never wear ankle socks or stuff like that. And I was like, well, my father says yes now. So I'm going to do it. My father has said that if I had talked to, if I had talked about this with him back then, he's like, I wouldn't have either let you do it. But the point is, is that I didn't, I don't believe him. I think if I would have talked about it with him, I would have been able to do it. But he claims, he, he says, he says I wouldn't. Um, so it, it's just, I guess, you know, I was just way closer with my mother and now this was like the new journey, but I wanted to mention it because my relationship with my mother now was so great. So I wanted to, you know, compare and contrast. Um, so yeah, that was 10th grade. 10th grade was um, definitely the best year in high school. Um, then 11th grade was, very tough. I, I didn't like a lot of the teachers. I do have to say there were, there were some good teachers, but at the end of the day, one bad teacher is really enough to almost ruin your year, depending how bad they were. But some of them were just, just not nice. Like they, and then they said they would treat us disgusting and then claim that we had to be respectful to them. And I was just like, okay, according to the Torah, yeah. And, and I agree with that, but it's just like, why are you treating me so bad? And it was, it was a lot of that. They were, some teachers were saying things that would like really hurt me and bother me, like in terms of Yiddishkeit and stuff like that. Um, then I would, I would constantly come home to my father, constantly tell it to him. I, I really, really, really did not like school at that point. Would you um, give an example? Would you be comfortable to share like one yeah. example of something that they said, or just so we can understand? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't remember too much, but I do remember some examples. Um, one thing we had, there was this video that they had showed us and the person in it had said, um, this person wanted to go off her computer. And then she was saying, she was talking to this Rebitson of how like, oh, it's really hard to go off my computer. I don't like, there's things that I still need. And the Rebitson was like, what do you mean you're having a hard time? This is, this is something so important. How can you, this is something so worth it. This like the computer is so bad and, and terrible. And I was just so shocked because I was like, she's trying to work on herself. Why would you respond so terribly and so harshly? And I was just, I was horrified, especially because I was still working through stuff. And if someone would say that to me, I would be like, I just wouldn't do it. And like, and I felt like I take what she was saying and I was applying it to myself naturally. So I was just utterly horrified. Um, and I, I, I immediately called my father in school. I think I even was crying. I, um, I, I don't cry too much, but I, I don't know. I, I may have, I usually just cry when I'm tired, not when something sad happens to me. So but I just remember being really, really distraught and disturbed. And right, makes sense. Um, I think that, you know, being a highly sensitive person, which you now know, yeah, it, didn't, it was like, they're saying one thing and they're not understanding people. And there's, they just are judging people. They're being critical. 
instead of loving and accepting people where they're at, seeing them and helping build on that, they kind of shut them down. And yeah. you were like, wait, that that's, this is me. I'm working on myself. Are you telling me that I'm not good enough? I just need to be shut down or I can't, this is too much for me to handle. And it kind of influenced mm-hmm. that experience. So that's exactly what, that's a perfect example. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was 11th grade and then 12th grade things got even worse. I, I hated school so much. I just remember like my mother would, or someone would drop me off and I would be so jealous of them getting to leave right after. And I eventually like, especially in 12th grade, just really, really started putting up walls, but I would think about it. If a teacher would say something, I would always think of myself in this safe place with like huge walls around me. So, cause that was, that was the way I was learning to cope and deal with like these things. In 12th grade, I would call my father once or twice, even sometimes three times a day. I would just, I would, I was always using the school phone. I was always calling him about things. It was, it was, I really didn't like it and I wanted to leave, but there was just, there was, I don't know, like six, seven months left and it was just like, finish it. It wasn't, you're, you're almost done. So parents encourage you kind of to stay. Did they force you to stay? Did they want you to stay and you wanted to please them? I, to me, I think to me, I was just kind of keeping myself to stay. I did mention it to my parents, but I wasn't strong about it. I was just like, I don't like school. And they were like, you're almost done. And I was just like, I, 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 I thought to myself, it's ridiculous to leave now. I, just, I, w- I want my diploma. I'm almost done. It's the last stretch. I've done it until now. I can get out. But 12th grade was really, really hard, especially because a lot of the classes we had had, we, we weren't really, um, we had finished most of it. So a lot of the classes were extracurricular classes, prepare you for the world kind of classes. And those were the absolute worst. <laughs> so um, 12th grade was like even harder because it had that added element in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then um, midwinter came. So it was halfway, a little more than halfway done. Me and my father had gone to Israel. One of the reasons we had gone was to visit seminaries, to actually see them, to see if, you know, they were going to be right for me. I had a friend in seminary that I visited um, and I had had, we had so much fun. I loved it. I was having a great time. And I say that because when I came back, I couldn't take it. It was, it was just too much because before I was just miserable and every day I would be miserable. But when I had, was so happy and then coming back to being so miserable, I, I, re- I wasn't able to take it. So then I told my father, um, oh, I had realized that I realized how bad it was when I think it was like after I'd gone back to school, that Shabbos, I remember having so many thoughts, being so upset, so hurt, so angry that I took a pen and paper and I wrote for like a few hours, just like pages after pages after pages, starting from first grade, like blasting all my teachers, not all of them. I, I, when you look back, it's like, oh, all of them really was just a few. Um, I had a lot, a lot of good teachers, um, but just like going through all the teachers I didn't like saying, why did you do this? How can you do this? And going all the way up and up and up. And then I just like, fell asleep. I was exhausted. And I realized I was like, okay, I'm not keeping Shabbos anymore. This was, this is like, this, this is something else. This is to a point where I obviously can't take it. So I told my father and I said, what I said to him was, I think what happens in ninth grade is happening again. And he said, okay, like we'll take you out of school. And I was like, what? Like for real, you mean like, we're just, he's like, yeah. And I was, I was, 
I didn't even know what to do. Like the, the fact that I wouldn't have to go through the last four months of school was, was so good. So amazing. And, um, it, it could, it can't looking back, it can sound like it was just four months, but I know that I would say it really took me one full year to one full year to really, really heal. I know I'm 99% sure if I had stayed for the last four months would have at least taken me two to three years. It would have added an extra one to two years. Like those four months would have been so traumatic, so bad for me that it would have taken so much more additional time of healing. So by leaving school um, was definitely the right decision. But once I had decided to leave school, we were kind of in the middle of a production, which means I would have to leave the production. And I was in dance. So finding someone for dance would have been really hard, but I was just like, you know, I, I have to do it. I have to leave school. My principal ended up calling me. I went in, we talked for a little bit and I dropped like two or three of the terrible classes. Like the ones that I, I dreaded. I can't even describe how much I dreaded them. Um, but so we dropped those and I was like, you know what? Okay, without those, I can come back. I was also really nervous because I had been home for a week and I didn't have anything to do. I knew I was going to eventually like finish school. I didn't know how I was bored. I didn't like know what to do. I was so nervous. I was so scared. So I, I was just like, okay, you know, this is the easier option to go back. I don't have to take the terrible classes. I finished, I was going to finish production, which means they wouldn't have to find someone to replace me for dance and, and choir, which I felt was unfair. Um, so I went back and I, I had, I had talked to her, I think, on like a Monday, on like a Wednesday or Thursday. And I was like, I'm going to I'll come back next Monday. And from the second I decided to come back, this cloud of just pure misery came back on me. I remember being so depressed. I would just, I watched videos again all the time. It was, it was my coping mechanism constantly. Um, then I, and my parents both noticed. And then this time they came to me and they're like, um, yeah, we're taking you out. You're not, you're not going back. So I was like, you know what? I'm not really learning so much because we're doing production. I'll finish the production and then I won't come back. So this time, because I had a little bit more time, I like finished the production. I knew I was leaving. I had already done it once. I knew things would work out. So I finished the production and I didn't come back. My principal ended up calling me again um, she had, she had called my father. My father was like, Miruha, come here. She wants to talk to you. And I was like, I don't want to. My father, my father, I think he like kind of wanted to see what was going to happen. He sometimes likes these like situations because it's like interesting psychology. He wanted to see what was going to happen. And I was like, hello. And she said, okay, Miruha, you're, you're going to come back and we'll figure. And I just pick up the phone and I hung up and I was like, I, I couldn't deal with it. Um, and like looking back at the, you know, hanging up on my principal, my father was like, was that therapeutic? Was that good? It really wasn't. I didn't feel good hanging up on her. It didn't, it didn't feel good. At the end of the day, she had accepted me in ninth grade, which is something I still have a car as a toe for because she had accepted me earlier in ninth grade to come back to the school, which made 10th grade so much fun, 11th grade, okay. Obviously it didn't end up working out, but I still appreciated that. And it didn't necessarily feel good. She had also, she really did want me to come back, which I appreciated. But the reason why I hung up was because I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with like, I was like, there's, there's no way I'm coming back. I tried, it didn't work. But um, so yeah, now I'm a quick question. When you say you were sad and you didn't want to wake up tomorrow, were there ever thoughts of like hurting yourself, um, any kind of cutting or like trying to commit suicide? I'm, I'm, I know that I'm getting into details here, but I'm, I'm just curious if, if any of those things were struggles for you as well during these times when you describe being sad. Yeah, so. Or was it more, you know, like because people do use their phone and computers and videos as a coping mechanism? Yeah. Um, to me, it 
Barak Hashem never got so bad. I did think about it. I thought more just about wanting to die, but that's a huge step from actually taking any actions. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really ended up cutting myself. Um, I stopped eating not because of a eating disorder. It was more just because my stomach couldn't take the food. I was so nauseous and so tired. Um, I really took it out on watching movies from the second I got up until the second I got to sleep. So I didn't think about anything. All of that's why I did it. I didn't, I didn't think about my life. I didn't think about what I was going through. I would just watch videos. So, um, and then it, it, in my, my parents were always, especially after the first time when I hadn't told them. And that's when it got the worst, because after that, I was able to tell them before and I, and they always did what was needed to be done at the time. So I borrowed the time. It really, really never got bad. Um, okay. Let's continue. Yeah. Um, so, um, okay. So then, um, I had left school. My mother ended up finding an online school, um, that worked out. Um, I got my credits, I graduated. Um, so yeah, from when I left school until I got my first job, things were kind of like a roller coaster, but just, it was going up. So, but I, there were so many ups and downs that I really don't remember now. I just remember there being like ups and downs and things were things in times when things were looking good, but then I would just crash back down. And so it really just wasn't like, oh, everything was better. It wasn't like that at all until I got my first job. When I got my first job, that's things definitely got better. I was working at a, like a kosher coffee shop um, and I loved it. It was, yeah, it was really good. And all of my friends were now in seminary. So I had left school, all my friends were in seminary. And this was when I, I decided not to go to seminary. Um, it was a very like conscious, really well thought out decision. Um, because I knew I was like, I have to try these certain stuff. I have to not keep sneeze at some point. I, what I wanted to dye my hair purple highlights ever since I was in ninth grade. And there was things that I wanted to do. And I knew that if I had gone to seminary, if I would come back, it would be too late. I wouldn't want to do it then, but I knew it was something I needed to do, but I wasn't, it wasn't coming from a rebellious stage. So I didn't want all my friends to see it. I didn't want, you know what I mean? I wasn't comfortable with people saying it. So it really worked out. Um, and so, yeah, then. That's um, so interesting because I had a question and maybe I can interject and bring this up right here. Yeah. So you see that a lot of struggling kids that are dealing with, you know, anxiety or depression or whatever it is that they're struggling with, um, most of them end up going off to Dara and choosing a different path in their family, which by the way, it takes a lot of, of inner strength too, because if you were to do something different than your family, it, you, you're basically showing yourself I'm different than everyone else. And that takes a lot of, it's, it's very hard. It's painful for somebody to do that. So when you said that, you know, I needed my phone to get, you know, to Shabbos, to get through Shabbos or to get my mind up with things. So I wasn't keeping Shabbos, but I'm curious, like, why do you think from your perspective, why do you think it is that teens or younger teens feel that by changing their outer clothing or getting a third piercing, or maybe for some extreme cases, a tattoo or whatever it may be, you know, choosing a totally different path than their family. How does that, why is that the default? How, how does, where does that play in? Like, how does that help if you, if you don't mind me asking? No, no, not at all. I think, so this I had actually, I, is it, are you asking like, why do they go off the derech? 
So I don't think anybody can know for sure, but I'm saying, let's say in your case, right? You said that you weren't CS, you were modest, right? You wanted to do things that were not within your family's values. Yeah. How, did, how did that help you is my question. How did that help you cope with the sadness or the depression or anxiety or the challenging time that you were going through? How did that help you? Yeah, so I know that by the time I did it, it was actually coming from a very, very healthy place. Usually it doesn't come from a healthy place. And I can describe like why I, cause when I, I had told my father before I even stopped keeping SNES, I said, I want to not keep SNES so I can keep SNES again from my own way, wow. which usually not how that happens because kids aren't able to do that with their parents. If my parents had said, absolutely, you cannot keep SNES, I would never have kept SNES again. But because they said you can, I was just like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go through this and then I'll, you know what I mean? So it's, it's not because of the children that that they choose to or, or not choose to. It's because if, if the parents won't accept you, then you don't have something to come back to. So you just probably won't. I always had something to come back to. I had even wanted to move out when I wasn't keeping sneeze. I was like, I don't want the younger kids to see. I really don't want to influence them. And my father was like, no, you're staying right here, um, which was ended up being the best thing. And the, the ch shockingly so, they really ended up not being influenced. I think they the more they, what they really saw was my parents accepting me rather than, um, oh, she's not keeping SNES, I don't want to keep SNES either. They wanted to keep SNES, and, but they just, all they saw was like, wow, my parents are accepting her. Um, they did, my father, I mean, I didn't mention this too much, but my father was giving me tons of attention at some point, and they were very envious of that, especially like two of them. Like, it was brought up years and years after. For the past little bit, it's not really brought up anymore, but there was a lot of struggle, but in this specific thing with the, so, but in general, I remember when I didn't want to keep SNES before all this happened with my parents, because I didn't want to keep SNES since, I don't know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, really, um, is when I didn't want to keep it. Um, I think then, I know for me that I didn't really have a, a role model that I wanted um, to be like everybody that I saw. I just viewed everybody as closed-minded, not understanding. Um, and then in the non-Jewish world, I saw all of this, what seemed to be all this like light and, and fun and understanding and stuff like that. So I was just like, well, I wanna dress like them. I wanna be like them. And then also I I put in that these, these teachers I didn't like, what I didn't like about them was the Jewish aspect of them. That's not true. I didn't, I don't like them. The Jewish aspect really has nothing to do with who they are. I didn't understand that. So I said, if I don't, if I'm not sneeze, if I don't keep like, you know, the Torah and mitzvahs, then I won't turn out like them. And that made me feel okay. That's interesting. So, yeah. And then I, I discussed this with my father too. And I think this is true too, um, that there's a lot of abuse that people that it are through like that people use the Torah to kind of go through. So an example that happened to me was that teachers would be completely, I mean, disrespectful is a word is a is the wrong word. They were just mean, like full on mean. Respectful is an actual term because maybe in our society we say we need to respect our elders, but people need to respect people. Adults need yeah. to respect children and mutual respect is important. Obviously we talk differently to adults and to children and there's different yeah. expectations, different boundaries, but talking to another person in a respectful way is something that everyone should do, especially teachers. Yeah, so yeah, so like when teachers would talk disrespectful to me um, and then I would naturally 
defend myself back, um, which would be disrespectful. Um, they would say, oh, how dare you be disrespectful to me? Like, what, Derek Haritz. And I was just like, I mean, it, I mean, it's just so, and then it's like, oh, well, the Torah says you should be respectful. So then I, you know, attribute that to the Torah or like, if your skirt is like a little bit above and it's like, I mean, these are the school rules, but just you feel so disgusting inside and you're like, well, I definitely don't want a part of this. So there's for sure more answers and stuff like that, but those are- I think that is very much, very probably the most common answer. Every situation, every story is gonna be different for every person. But I think that that is probably for most children or teens or people that have chosen a different path, they saw something and probably they being HSPs, they said like, if this is Yiddish guy and this is its reward, then I don't want it. Yeah. This is who I'm going to be, then I don't need this. They threw the baby out with the bathwater because, you know, a dandelion has an easier up. Um, it's easier for them to say, oh, that's just this teacher. That doesn't mean that every rub or every mechanic or every, you know, mechanechas is, is um, hypocritical. She says this, but does this, or she's not nice and treats other people with disrespect, but she also wants us to be sneer. So you can't pick and choose. And why is she picking and choosing? I don't need this. So yeah. it's a person that's not so sensitive can decipher and say, mm, that's them, but this is me. But for people that are highly sensitive, it's much more, it's harder for us. It's harder for them to really actually make that differentiation. Yeah, it's funny how you bring up that expression, I'm throwing out the baby with the bathwater, because that is an expression my father said to me so many times, and something that, like, I've had to, like, work through and stuff like that, um, because it's true, especially, like, something that I do all the time is throw out the baby with the bathwater, and part of my journey is learning not to do that, you know, mm -hmm. accepting certain parts, but I think, like, the as something that really, once I figured this out, I definitely knew that I was going to be from, that the parts I didn't like about the teachers had nothing to do with Yiddish guy literally like nothing to do with it at all maybe they were using some of it to abuse you or hurt you but that wasn't the the parts that I didn't like about them really had nothing to do that was all them mm -hmm. so like really learning and, and fully understanding that and then once I understood that I was able to see all of these amazing people who use Judaism to grow and make themselves a better person I was like wow I want to be like that wow. so okay, yeah okay that, that was very helpful. And sorry for interrupting. Continue with your story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, here's um, a story, a little thing. So when I was um, going to buy some Natsni's clothes, it was, I was, oh, I still remember like how insanely excited and happy I was because for years and years and years of window shopping and wanting these stuff, going to buy them was, was, I, I there's like no words to describe how happy I was, but so I was trying them on. Um, and before I bought them, I, I had called my father and I had said, I don't like, are you sure I can buy them? I don't know. Like, these are like, these are really not new stuff. And my father had said, um, he's like, um, but he's like, make sure to buy it before someone else does. Yeah. So, um, and so, yeah, in the beginning I had bought like pants, um, like dresses, shirts, stuff like that. And I had bought them. I bought them a few months before I actually started wearing them, but especially like the pants and stuff, all of it just, I bought it and then I just stayed it in the bags. I didn't even take it out of the bags to hang up or put it in anything. I just kept them in the bags. And my father was like, you need to wear them. You, you like, you bought these, like you want to wear them. This is part of your, like wear them. And I was just like, I can't wear pants outside. That's, that's not something that, you know, I, that's not something I want the neighbors to see me. That's not something I really feel comfortable in. So this is where we got, like, my father had a friend who kind of has a bigger house with 
like 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 a larger place that's fenced. So um, my father arranged that I go there, and so I brought my pants there, and I wore my pants there, and I that was the one and only time I wore them. I never wore them again. Um, buying it was so therapeutic. I guess getting to wear them once was also really nice. I didn't feel comfortable in them at all. I didn't really like how I looked in them. Um, I wasn't interested in it. Um, so, and also my goal was to keep sneeze. So it's not like I was gonna get used to it. I was like, great, I don't, this is not something I have to work on. I don't feel comfortable in pants. So I, I never ended up wearing them outside of this fenced area, which I'm, I'm happy because, I mean, not everybody has a friend where you can get the pants and stuff, but if we didn't have that, then I probably just would have ended up wearing them inside or something, or maybe going somewhere to like a mall, putting them on and wearing them around there. You know, there's there's other options, but this is what happened to me. This is what worked out for me. Um, I kept them for like probably a few months in my house and then I like gave them away. Like I, I, I didn't need them anymore. But um, yeah, it definitely wasn't a waste of money because even though I wore them once because buying them was so therapeutic. And then I guess wearing them once was also, but it also showed me that I didn't want to wear pants. So I stuck to just dresses. Um, and then there was, oh, and then there's another um, thing. So during- before, before you go to that, let me just interrupt for a second. So it's so interesting what you said, because what I, what I was hearing you say is that because your father kind of knew that you kind of had this real desire for this kind of way of dressing and he encouraged it to buy it, to wear it. It was like the fact that he allowed it and he gave you the permission, it sounds to me and tell me if this resonates, that you got it out of your system that way. See, so many parents, I hear a lot of people say to me, or I hear people talk, they'll say, I get it that a 16-year-old is not dressed sneeze, but why is an 11-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, like, you buy her clothes. Like, you have the ability to say, no, don't, I'm not buying you that short skirt. I'm not buying you those those open necks. I'm not buying you, a, a, you know, clothing that I don't agree with. It's my money. I'm not doing it. And I hear them. But what I'm hearing you say, and I'm wondering if this can be applied to this idea, is that it's better to, to buy it for them, get it out of their, allow them to get it out of their system, kind of, not with the hopes to get it out of their system, but saying, be you. This is your, you desire this strongly, you want this really bad, be you. I love you. No matter what you wear, no matter what you do, you are mine, beautiful child and I see you with your neshama shining through. It doesn't matter what you wear. And I'm curious, like, is is that what is that in your case what helped you? And I'm, I wonder if if other people that may be struggling with a child that chooses to not be modest or tzias would try this approach if that would be beneficial for them. Yeah. So I I wasn't allowed it when I was younger. I mean, I wasn't. My pajamas were tzias. Um, I was only really allowed to wear like I wasn't even allowed to wear ankle socks in the house. So I don't, so I don't, I don't really know how it works when they're younger. I know that I had a friend who really wanted to wear, I think like flip-flops or something. So her parents bought her flip-flops and she wore them in the park and it was like the best thing for her ever. I think also like if, if it doesn't come out of a rebellious place, so your child can't rebel if you let them do what they're doing, right? Because I, I never ever rebelled because everything I did, I was allowed to do. Um, so when it comes from a rebellious place, it takes a lot quicker to go through. My purple hair that I'd wanted for years ended up only having for three months because my parents were like, sure. I mean, they let me go get it earlier than I even wanted to. Um, so 
it, it, it definitely goes through your system a lot quicker. And there's, I think, ways to, I think there's usually ways to figure out how to let the child do what they want to do. But, you know, the child still has, this child still goes to school, still lives in a society where some things are accepted. So I think like a really good thing is like going on a vacation or going to a park somewhere a little bit out of the way and letting them try to do what they want to do there. If it's something that's the outside, like clothes or shoes or hair or something like that. Um, hair, if like you can't diet, there's always um, clip-ins. Like there's, there's always something to do to, to really get it through out of your system. And even though it might not be out of their system, as long as they know that you're accepting it and they're accepting it and stuff like that. Because at the end of the day, I always looked up to my parents. So it's not like I want them to switch their values for me. I just want them to know it's like, we care about what you care about. So um, yeah, it's also because I think there's like a fine line of caring for your children and what they care about, but also keeping to your values. Because I mean, I know that me, and I'm guessing most kids, like they don't want their children, their, their, their parents to change their values for them. You know what I mean? Because right. also the, th the, and it's even more so like my parents kept their values, but they still loved me. It's not that like my mother stopped keeping Sneas and then I was like, oh, okay, well now. Um, but it was just like, no, she kept Sneas. Sneas was something important to her and she would still compliment me on my short skirt. It was, it was that kind of thing. Yeah. She, she complimented you on your short skirt. Stop. Yeah. That is incredible. I just want to take, <laughs> she, cause so many mothers were like, pull your skirt down, pull your skirt down. And your mother said what? My mother was like, oh, that's such a pretty design. She found something about the skirt to compliment. Yeah. Incredible. This was, I mean, like part of the journey with my mother is that especially she would speak to my father a lot, but it took years um, to finally get it back to where it was. But my mother really, really like this, this was very, very hard for her. Um, I, I don't even know how hard it was for her. I just know it was hard. But if you asked her, she can probably give a more detailed of really like how hard it was. But she completely accepted me. And that was that was what saved our relationship. Um, like completely. And I, I, it wasn't a fake compliment. Like I was, I was able to tell, you know what I mean? She didn't yeah, like authentic. It wasn't like she was forcing herself. She really wanted to find something that she thought was pretty and tell you she yeah. wanted to give you a genuine compliment. Okay. Continue. Um, oh, so then, uh, this was like during part of this time, um, we, me and my, my father had, we had gone to New York and we were going to see a Broadway show and, as, and like, as we were in line, I said to my father, um, I was like, you can't go in there. There's women singing. So my father had like, had known I was going to say this. So he had, he had earphones and he listened to something else. Um, and he, and he wasn't like looking at the stage. He was kind of like looking down and he had earphones, but he went in with me and I enjoyed the show. Um, and, and my father said, he's like, I want you to say the story because this is a really good example of how I kept to my standards. I didn't enjoy the Broadway show. You know, I wasn't enjoying it, but you know that I wanted to be with you and that I wanted to do what you wanted to do while keeping to my standards. You know, if my father had, what if my father was enjoying the Broadway show, which is something that he wouldn't have, you know what I mean? Like if he just was just like, oh, I'm gonna use my daughter as an excuse because she needs to see the Broadway show. I'm gonna use her as an excuse to see the Broadway show too. He, he didn't do that. He kept to his values and stayed with me too. So I like, that's a really good example of how he, and I didn't want him to, it was like all that more special. And looking back, I didn't even realize how impactful it was, but looking back, it was like, it's so impactful for like what he did and stuff. That's so powerful. I literally, I'm crying. <laughs> it takes such strength. 
And like you said, it's easy to just get, you know, washed into it and say, oh, it's just a Broadway show. But here he kept his values. He put on earphones. He, he took it in and he said, I'm not paying attention, but I'm here with my daughter. And he did it for you with such a high level of love. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's very, very. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at this point, um, so I had grown my hair for years and then I had dyed it like purple streaks. At this point, I cut my hair very, 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 very short. And looking back, I didn't even realize this at the time, but when my father mentioned to me, I realized it was so true. It was very freeing. Purple hair was what I wanted in ninth grade. Long hair was what I had started really growing out at 10th. I would like keep it very nice. I would get it trimmed often so it can grow really long. I had cut it extremely short. I think I cut off 24 inches. Wow. which is a ton because I really I cut it really short um and it was it was very 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 freeing I dyed my hair like a lighter brown because some of the purple was still in there I didn't like the look I dyed my hair like a lighter brown um also I'd gotten a second piercing at some point which was just like just just having lots of I guess fun but experimenting um I ended up when I cut my hair short I think I had like the piercing for two months and I was just like yeah I don't like the double piercing so I closed it up um but yeah so that's where I was at this point. I was still working at the coffee shop. I was having a lot of fun. How old were you? I believe 17 or 17, 18. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, oh yeah, I think, I think I was still 17 at this point. So that midwinter, I went to visit my friends in Israel. Um, and then when I was in Israel, just like the, the holiness of it and and something to it. Um, I had, I kept that Shabbos because I was with like my family and stuff like that. We were doing stuff. And then when I realized I can keep that Shabbos, me and my father had a discussion and I was like, my father was like, why don't you try keeping Friday night of Shabbos? And I was like, I can't do that. Cause if, 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 if I already like desecrated Shabbos, I'm not, it's, I'm like, I, I have to full on keep it forever. I have to make that decision. Cause starting to do it a little bit, it's, just, it's not going to work. So and yeah. you're authentic and you're true to yourself. So if I'm yeah. doing this, I'm doing this completely. There's no half. Yeah. Um, so it, it was it was in Israel. So I think it's been, yeah, no, it's been over a year now that I've been keeping job. It's a year and a few months. Um that I and then when I came back from Israel, um, oh my um when I had decided to start keeping Shabbos again, I was like, okay, Todd, now you have to go on walks with me every Friday night and Shabbos day, and you need to talk with me and you need to stay here so I can start keeping Shabbos. Um, and my father had said, I can't do that. I can't, if I go on walks with you, great. I can't, it can't be because you're keeping Shabbos that I'm going to go on walks with you. Because what, let's say when Shabbos, I'm not here. What happens when you get married? Like this, this, it has to be something that, that comes from you. And so the first Shabbos, I was like, I, am I going to keep it? Am I not? I was starting to keep it. Then Shabbos day, I had opened my computer and I would like watch like two seconds of something. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like the kind of life I want to lead is the kind of life that I have to keep Shabbos in. So I closed my computer and I've kept Shabbos ever since. And I've never mentioned, and my father was like, and you've never mentioned again about me having to go on walks with you. So my father had said, it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to do whatever I, or whatever you need to do to keep Shabbos. When I had said, I'll keep Shabbos if you do this and this and this, he was just like, I can't necessarily do that. I can't That's go on so walks great. with you. Yes. That's so fascinating because I'm sure many people that are listening can relate to this. We so want our children to do something. So we, we want it like, I'll do this for you and I'll help you and I'll make it for you and I'll make you the food and I'll, and I'll, and I'll do this. So just keep Shabbos. But when you're doing something for yourself, 
It needs to come from you if it's to be a long lasting with anything in life. If you cannot bring somebody and change them, but if, if it comes from themselves and they're not dependent on other people, then they can have true happiness. It's like, I'll keep Shabbos when I'm married and I have somebody else in my apartment with me. So I'm not alone. You, it will still be hard because there'll be times where your partner is not there. There'll be times where you have to be alone. When it comes from you, when you're able to do it on your own in a true way, then it's, then it's everlasting. So what your father did there was such a gift. Yeah. It's a gift to you because you could have, he could have easily put a bandaid on that. But instead he said, no, when you're, and he discouraged you, like do Friday night first, start slowly. It's such a, an incredible way of looking at it. I just want to reflect on that for a minute about your father's taking the time to study on this topic so that he could be able to do the right thing as you were on your journey, journeying along with you. It's powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Baruch Hashem, then I've been keeping Shabbos. I still wasn't keeping Snaes, but I was, I was 100% keeping Shabbos. Um, and I was, I was feeling, um, oh, I, I, one thing, um, that, that kind of is a little bit before when I wasn't keeping Shabbos, I was utterly miserable because I wanted to keep it so bad, but I, I couldn't. And an example of my father, like 100% completely accepting me is when, um, I would be, I would come, I would wake up in the morning and watch my videos and the meal would start and I would be watching my videos and then it would come down after the meal, like an hour after the meal was over with, um, yeah, because I, I was hungry and always there was a plate of salad, a, a plate of chalent, kiddush cup and a wine, my table, my place set and everything ready for me. There was always that. And then after when I would come, then I would go back upstairs and watch and watch and watch and watch and I would come downstairs in this awful mood my father would always give me a big hug and stuff like that like and it, it took over a year for me to start KB Shabbos again that's a that's a really long time where he was just constantly accepting me and he didn't know if it would be a year in him it could have been five years he knew it was something that I wanted to keep again but he had no idea how long it was going to be um but yeah so that's just an example of like what's full on acceptance i feel that is a really really good example of, of of something he did to always just really fully accept me right i'm curious did they ask you to do it in private like did they tell you to do it in, not in the public were they were they clear about those guidelines like please try to do it in your room but not in the public area or even that they didn't mention to you so in my room i always wanted to do it in my room i remember there was times where the light in the girl's room and the light in like one of the rooms was by mistake left on on Shabbos and I would just be like oh my gosh I don't keep it why can't I switch it off and my father always said he's like please don't switch it off and one time I did and he wasn't happy about that mm. he was like he was like please like they like they, they they can keep it on it's okay or one time um like uh the tape was on or something and I had turned it off so he wasn't like I mean I didn't want to watch videos out because I was embarrassed and stuff but if if the light was on I was like oh my gosh I never keep Shabbos why does it matter he would always say like no don't even if it like it even if it affected him but it always just been like so then I like realized my siblings did know at the end that I wasn't keeping Shabbos they had known at the end um because I was just like so sick of keeping it a secret and stuff like that so they did end up knowing um but yeah so it wasn't it, it was something that like, I think my parents did want me to keep it more in private. If it was for me, if I, if I had wanted to watch videos downstairs, I don't know what, what would have happened. But when it came to turning off the light in my siblings room, that was where they said, no, like don't, yeah. Right, you're not the Shabbos guy. It's something you're choosing. You're also halachically right. not allowed to have it. You do it anyway for us yeah. to have enjoyment. Even yeah. though there's a mirror, there's a way to say it to a guy also. But 
it, it's so it's so incredible the way your parents supported your journey. I'm gonna keep saying that, but go ahead. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, so then, okay, I was I was I kept working at this coffee shop. Still, um, I was keeping Shabbos. Stina slowly went from. I think the first thing I did was. I sewed up some of my necklines and I was only buying stuff with neckline stuff. That was the easiest thing to teach because we have a tailor and she would just sew them up. Um, my necklines really weren't that low. They just weren't covering the collarbone, but I never felt comfortable with low necklines. They were like, they were like here a little, like, yeah, just like a little below the collarbone, but I'd wanted it to be over the collarbone. Then I started, um, then I started covering my arms. So those things were like a lot easier. Um, especially because it's it's always hardest to find things over the knee, harder to fix things over the knee. But that's where I was then. Um, I don't exactly remember when COVID came or stuff like that, but COVID did come and then, but I was still, I slowly kept, um, yeah, I was slowly continuing to keep Tineas. Then I started having like two or three completely Tineas outfits. At this point, I did call and reconnect to a teacher that I had in school, like one of my favorite teachers. And we, like I was going to her once a week and we were talking about Tineas. This was like all completely on my own. My parents never commented. My parents never mentioned. They just supported. They really, they, like when they had seen me keeping Tineas, it wasn't even like, oh, that's like awesome. I would like show them and be like, oh, do you like this addition that I added to my dress to make it more Tineas? Um, and they'd be like, yeah, it's so pretty. But they never been like, oh, it's so nice that you're keeps that you're starting to keep sneeze again that never happened or stuff like that because especially my mother it came to a point where she really it wasn't something she looked at I can't even like that's the only reason why I started keeping it again because I would look at her and watch her and she just didn't it, it wasn't something that was important to her anymore it was just it was it was yeah like it was just me I was important to her not the clothes that I was wearing so I'm curious um, about that because sometimes you know we talk about the idea of like saying to our children positive and you know speaking to them positively so like if your parents would have said to you oh you're making efforts that's beautiful don't feel pressured but like you know it's a beautiful saying you think that would have been a negative or a positive to me it would have been a negative explain I didn't, I didn't want them to notice I didn't want them to care once once I showed it to them then they complimented and that was I was that's what I was happy with once I showed it to them but like I to you if, if, if you came to them and said, guys, I just fixed this neckline, what do you think? Yeah. Then it would have been okay for you to hear them saying at that point. So when you were the one bringing it up, you were looking for a reaction, but yeah. just to, to randomly look at it, don't, don't pay attention to me now. But when I bring it to your attention, respond. Yeah, because I'll tell you, positive reinforcement is an important and good thing. But the way I would have taken it, was if my first knee outfit covering my knees and my mother would have said, oh, it's so nice to let, let that you're starting to keep Tineas again. I would have just seen it as her wanting to keep me more Tineas. And all of a sudden I would feel uncomfortable with all my other not Tineas outfits. And I, it needed to be a slow journey. Mm -hmm. um, and it needed to come completely from me. So it wouldn't, it, it really wouldn't have worked, especially because me and her had had, but even if it was with my father, me and her had already had disagreements about Sneas, but me and my father hadn't. But if, if he had said anything, it would have, I, I would have felt like it wasn't fully coming from me. It wasn't. Yeah. That's helpful. Okay. Continue. Um, so yes, my father wanted to me to mention when I was going through the with him, he was like, tell them that it was just your decision and that it wasn't us pushing you or forcing yeah. you because it's important that like parents know that this really, really 100% was my decision. Um, you becoming 
saying becoming Chandra's novice, becoming yes. Snance was all about your journey. Nobody pressured you. Nobody yes. pressured you. This was coming from you. It sounds actually quite the opposite that they discouraged a little bit even. When you would say, I want to keep Shabbos. And if you take me for walks and your father says, well, you, it needs to come from you when you're ready, not depending on somebody else. Or when you said the story about, you know, um, I wanted to keep starting to keep Shabbos, you said maybe start with Friday night. It actually, it's even the opposite. They, they kind of discouraged. And that kind of brought it for you as your own journey and really owning this on your own. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, at this point, my mother was like, really full on accepting me. It was, it was like really amazing. And our relationship was slowly, slowly starting to get better. Really, really slow. I mean, years slow. And even when it started getting better, it was incredibly slow. Um, so, and, and I had noticed that once I was starting to keep sneeze, when I had like three or four sneeze outfits, whenever I did laundry, those were always the first to go. And I was like, I would always just reach for the sneeze outfits. And I, it was naturally, and I realized I'm like, oh my gosh, Maybe I should convert my whole closet, but I was like, no, Maduha, like once I, once I keep sneeze, I never, ever, ever want to go back. So I made sure to do it slowly. Um, but like or like as a shlucha of a Chabad house, I would say that too. When I see somebody do something too quick, I slow them down. No, no, no. Don't be covering your hair yet. You're, you're, you don't need that step yet. You're currently not, that's not the step that you need to take. Take, slow it down. First, yeah. so take your space and really reflect on this. Like, kind of discourage them a little bit obviously slowly is better than than um taking on everything that you won't be able to do you won't be able to keep it if it's too quick yeah because i think like the the thing you have to keep in mind is the end goal which is that i want to keep this forever and yeah if I take it on too if, if i take it on everything right now am i 100 sure i will keep this forever and the answer was no so I was like, I'm only going to take everything on once I'm 100% sure that I will really, really keep this forever. Um, so, but by that time, I, I already like 75% of my closet was sneeze already. There was just a few stuff. And um, I had like gone to the store and I had like, they had a lot of cute stuff. So I ended up buying everything. And by that Rosh Hashanah, um, um, my wardrobe was like completely sneeze. And I... I remember I like went to my parents' room and I was like, guess what? Like I, I just got rid of like the last few stuff that weren't sneeze. And my father, like my father was like in his closet and then he had come out and he was like, and we care why, but he was kind of joking. <laughs> I was like, no, Ty, you care. Come on. Um, but he, like, he was joking. He did. I was, I was really, really proud of myself. I was really happy. I remember the day afterwards I had worn short sleeves and a short skirt. The day after like my, my thing, I had taken a t-shirt and I remember just like looking and I was like, I came down and I was like, oh my, like, this is just, I just like, I had the shirt and I really wanted to wear it. And my mother's just like, okay. And then that was the last time I ever kept not seeing it. So, like after my whole wardrobe, I like took a step back, short sleeves, which I hadn't worn for months. And then just to like, make sure that my mother was like completely okay with it. And she was, she didn't even notice. She didn't, I was the first one who commented and she was just like, yeah, that's okay. Um, and oh, another funny thing that happened, which I really shows, it shows how much my mother accepted me, um, was that when I had started keeping sneeze, the first time that I had covered my knees, um, because the process was so slow to keeping sneeze, the first time I had covered my knees, it wasn't like, oh, wow, she's totally sneeze again, because it was really slow. But my mother, as far as I knew, she didn't even notice. She may have, but as far as I knew, she didn't notice. She definitely didn't comment. Um, and it, it meant a lot to me, the fact that like going from like, 
struggling with not being able to wear not sneeze pajamas to her not like even commenting when I would sneeze and stuff like that was like, and then I of course brought it up to her and then she was like, oh, like that's great. Um, but that was just, I, I just remember like, it's still a memory to me like how she didn't make the first move or the first talk when I was keeping sneeze because it wasn't really about her. Absolutely. So, it never is. It's never about us. It's always about our children. And that's the hardest part for parents to remember. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that almost brings us up to date. Um, COVID was a bump. I had lost my job in the coffee shop. Um, things kind of like went a little bit down because I was bored, not like Tineas or Shabbos wise, just like in my own mental health wise. That's um, the most important piece, actually. I, you know, as a parent, I would say that I'm not so worried about the Tineas. I mean, a lot, of course you want your child to be Tineas and from but we mostly want our children to be emotionally happy. Yeah. And that's where all this comes in. So you said the COVID was challenging. Yeah. COVID was challenging at first. Um, I had gone, I was going back to watching movies all the time again. Um, really more just because I was bored. Right. Um, and I had nothing to do. My parents, like they, they really barely said anything when I would bring it up to them. Then, they, then we would talk about it, but they really barely said anything. Then I so wanted to there was none like, you know what that leads to. You shouldn't be doing that, Manuha. You know that when you, you're just hiding your feelings in your movies and your videos, why are you doing that? You want to be emotionally healthy? So they right. didn't do that. None of that. Incredible. Because um, parents think that they have to say that, say because their child doesn't know. And you knew. Yeah. Them saying wouldn't assist. So them backing off and giving you space was more beneficial. Yeah. And I think what's also something really important is that because my parents didn't say it, I was saying it to myself, not like these mad angry stuff, but because my parents didn't say, why are you on it? This is unhealthy. Naturally, if they would do that, it'd be like, no, it's fine. It is healthy. I'm okay. But because my parents didn't say anything at the end of the day, we know what's healthy for ourselves. We know what's not okay. You know what I mean? Like we, we see if parents are good role model and they're happy, then we know it's good. And my parents don't watch videos the whole day. They don't really watch videos at all. So right. I knew it was good. I wasn't happy watching videos. Um, so when they didn't say anything, I was starting to say, what am I doing? I don't have this job anymore. I want a job. I want to be a healthy, productive person in society. Then I ended up going on this 45 day cleanse challenge where I really watched nothing. I ended up um, enrolling in a school to become an esthetician, which is a skincare specialist. I recently finished. Um, I finished around two, three weeks ago. Um, I have my license. I don't have a job yet, um, um, but I definitely plan on getting a job soon. Um, yeah, yeah, things are Baruch Hashem, like, like videos is something I still I have challenges with, um, but it's, it's a lot better than it was. I definitely have control over it. Um, and I'm, I'm now trying to figure out a way where I don't have to stop at 100%. Um, Balance. That's, stopping at hundred percent is almost easier than balancing it. Um, but you know, just like once or twice a week and, and this and that. Um, so yeah, that's something I'm still with. Um, Baruch Hashem, I'm mentally, um, physically and emotionally very healthy. Um, every day, like this, I remember when this started happening, when every day I would wake up excited, excited to live. I was just like, Taz, this is a thing where people wake up excited, happy because I didn't, I always thought, of course you wake up miserable. Like you have to live the day, but that's not whatever that I, I, was shocked when I was starting to wake up every single day, even if there was nothing special happening, just happy to live. Um, and yeah, I'm continuing to grow in my relationship with Hashem. I still don't daven. I still something that I want to work up to, I guess, because I want to say it's uh, like, not everything is dandy now, you know, there's obviously yeah. still so many things that I want to work to still things that I have struggles with, but, um, Baruch Hashem, I'm really happy. And I've done 
so much work. And my parents are like truly my role models. My relationship with my mother is amazing now. We go out, we eat, we talk all the time. I absolutely love her. Um, so yeah. So incredible, this story. Um, did you, I'm just curious, at any point, was there therapy involved? Did you have intensive therapy? Did you see a therapist? Um, was that helpful to you? Or was this all home and family organic? So because I was caught early enough and because my parents completely switched their ways, I did try therapy. It really just didn't work for me. Um, one person was even just because she was like an hour and a half away. No, I think an hour away and I would have to go to her straight from work and it was just too hard. Another person, I did a few sessions with her. She ended up moving away and I didn't find somebody else. Um, and I didn't really do it over with her over the phone. So it wasn't specifically not, but, um, so basically I, your parents were your therapists in a way, because they guided you, loved you, accepted you unconditionally, gave you space to heal and grow, created an environment that was beneficial to you and that was your therapy in many ways for your story yeah I think there is like there is something to having somebody that's not in it um I do it's not really a therapist but I do have kind of like a coach um my mother had done this marriage counseling thing um and she had actually become a marriage coach and she had suggested that I do it not I'm not dating and I'm not married obviously but just really a relationship coach and I did that and that helped a lot, especially because when I was sad, I either went to movies or my father. When I went on my 40 diet, when I went on my 45 day cleanse challenge, I was starting to always go to my father to entertain me, to make me happy. And he said, you're replacing me with movies. That's not, I, I can't obviously be that replacement. Um, so the coach really helped me um, do stuff like that. So they're really, if it's, it's, there is something to having somebody else. I've never even met this coach. It's over the phone. Um, so okay. yeah, it's not, it's not therapy. It was never really intense. Um, but I think there is something nice to having somebody because my father wasn't really able to work out with me, me trying to replace him with videos. You know, my mother wasn't able to either. So it was a lot of work on my own part, figuring out other things that I like, like guitar, picking up reading again. Um, yeah, so many other stuff. It was also when I started signing up to esthetician school, like that I had to find a good school, good jobs. So, you know, having to, and she, she helped me with that. A lot of it came from myself, but there is something to having somebody else completely besides for, yeah. obviously you'll need less than more your parents. Right. No, no, I agree with that. I myself am a positive psychology based life coach. So, and I work with adults and teens, so I can totally, and I have my own coach that I go to. Yeah. So, so I know the benefit of that. Um, yeah, coaching is not necessarily for people that coaching is for people that are baseline so that they can get the best part of their life. You can't coach somebody who is struggling. You can, you know, you can love and support and be there for them to hear them, but you can only start coaching somebody really when they're at baseline and they're functioning and they're sleeping and eating and they're feeling a little bit better. That's when you start to make improvements, even in therapy also, that it works that way. That's incredible. Just because we're short on time. I do have one or two more questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, what would your advice be to, let's say a 15 year old girl or a 13 year old girl who's starting on this journey, meaning they may be in crisis, they may be self-harming, which are, or, you know, or um, not necessarily hurting themselves or trying to commit suicide, but, or, or even that, but like things like you said, you know, trying to keep themselves so busy so that they never have to think about their problems or constantly go from event, you know, people like try to, try to keep themselves busy and go to from event to event or go from friend to friend and so that they don't have to stop and think about how they feel or, or maybe they struggle with an eating disorder or maybe they have really bad anxiety that, that, that holds them back in life. And 
Yeah. What can you say to that child or that you know young adult to save them some of the agony and journey that you had to go through till you found some peace? What would you what would your piece of advice to them be? Yeah, so this one when you had uh, when I'd seen this question, I was actually having struggle trouble answering it. I was like, I, I don't really know what to say. Like, what would I, if I can go back and give myself advice, what would I say? And I had asked my father, I was like, what, what do you think? And he said something and I was like, that's so true. And that's why I couldn't think of an answer. I was thinking like, what would I say to the kid? But truthfully, I wouldn't talk to them. I would talk to their parents. Hmm. And it's just, I, I was just like, that's why. Cause I was thinking in the box, what would, I, what would I say to the girl? At the end of the day, if my parents hadn't helped me, what would I say to myself? I don't know. I would say, I'm really sorry. That's, that's really it. It's like, I'm sorry you have to go through this. But at the end of the day to really get them out, to get me out, the only thing I could have done was, was what my parents did. Like just to respond to the love and, and affection that my parents gave me is, is really it. And also just to know, like to the parents, to know that your child is always watching, like always watching everything. And I don't, my parents are like, so truly my role models like I copy almost everything my mother does she she like she has these like like this guy named Martini, which she went to um and I got really into it because of her um this like light this like uh, relationship coach kind of thing she had kind of like advised that I did it and pushed me to it a little bit but then once I had started I had like completely loved it um and I just look up to her and both of them so much and and yeah. So like, it's like your, your, your children truly like look up to it and admire you and they see every single thing, every little thing. So don't think that you can fake it ever. Like if my mother had not really accepted me that like when I didn't keep sneeze, if she would have kind of faked it and like try to obviously fake it till you make it. So in the beginning, fake it, but really, really work on yourself to actually like fully accept them because they'll know in seconds. Wow. Like they, they just so, fake it. So you're basically saying that you would you wouldn't tell you would say to the fifth year old I'm sorry that you're going through this this is really challenging you would be there with her in empathy and say this is hard I know how painful it is but yeah. you really wouldn't say anything else you would say to the parents you yeah. have a lot of power in your hands you can heal your child with love and unconditional love and by role modeling and being there for them even though it's so hard it's so much easier let's send them to somewhere else then they'll take care of it let's send them here that they can take care of it but you're saying that if you start early enough at home, you can create that environment that's healing for your child. Obviously there's times where you have to send your child away. If your child meaning is in the hospital or needs to be sent to somewhere, there's, there's, there's unfortunately times we need to do what we need to do. But yeah. Parents have a lot of, okay. So last but not least, what would your advice to the parents be what they shouldn't do? What should they not do? Um, so I touched on it before, but... you did touch on it, but if you were to just get yeah. parting comments on it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so really this point is said over and over and over and over again, but from what my father have told me, some people still don't understand. I just don't think people understand how, what unconditional love does like, like just how insanely life-changing and, and powerful it is. It's just, it's, it's, it's everything. And, and when, like, I don't really understand, I don't understand excuses because in my mind, I'm just like, if someone ever is making excuses, I'm like, 
then you don't understand what unconditional love would do. Because if you would understand, then you would just stop everything and you would give that to them. Because if you knew how powerful it was, it would, it would just be everything that you, that you would do. And I like, to me, it's like so obvious because I went through it and because my parents both gave that to me and I am in such a good and happy place. And I'm so excited to get married and to be a parent. And I want to raise my parents. I want to raise my children exactly the way my parents raised me. Like I loved the way they raised me. I loved the home I grew up in, um, so much. So just really, really driving that home. And then it's of course, like everyone's going to make mistakes, but I mean, both my parents made mistakes. I made mistakes. Um, but so it's just like, it's obviously you're going to mess up. But the, the important thing that when you mess up is that you get up and you try again and you try again and eventually you will succeed. Like there totally is hope and, and you'll see things slowly. Um, and then sometimes something big will happen and you know what, it, it will feel all good and all worth it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just like unconditional love, love and accept your child for who they are, love and accept your child for who they are. Just say that to yourself over and over and over. And then I would say the last, last thing is, um, my it's it's hard to see your child as not you because they're a part of you but my parents really see me as my own person and I think that's really 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 big like throughout everything it it wasn't about them at all it it really really wasn't I was completely my own person so yes they were loving and accepting me but it was my journey my own thing and when and when I got better, they were happy for me that I got better. And, but I, I, I didn't feel that they were like, ah, oh, look, we succeeded. Now we have this trophy of a daughter that we can go around. I really didn't feel like that. And even now, like when I discuss this and stuff, like I, f- I forget a lot of it now. It's just, I mean, I'm discussing this. So it seems like it's a big thing, but in my life, I, I don't think about these things because it's, it's not in my heart. It's not buried anymore. It's just, I really had to like go back and think what happened. My father had to like tell me, cause he remembers more, he had to tell me some of the, some of the stories and stuff. And once he said it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember it, but I don't go back with it, it with pain. Sharing this for me really isn't hard. Um, I mean, like helping somebody would be like the most amazing thing about Baruch Hashem because of the way things ended up going. It really, really wasn't hard. And my parents completely see me as my own person really through everything. So between those two things, that's what I would, that's what I would tell parents. Yeah. It sounds like your parents focused on you. They didn't focus on, well, we can't do that because we won't get a good shit up or we can't do that because you won't get this. Or if other people know, or if other people talk or what will our neighbors say, or what will our family say, or what will Bubby and Zadie say, they focus on you. They saw your pure neshama and they said, what can I do to make it shine even brighter? How can I assist that? Loving, yeah. loving, unconditional. It's the power of love. It's the highest level. Avas Hashem, Avas Atayra, and Avas Yisrael. It's, it's, it's everything all in one. It is a beautiful thing. Um, I want to thank you for your time. Of course, I have more questions, but we're ready almost at two hours. If I yeah. want anyone to ever listen to this, I better stop yes. it now. So again, Manucha, thank you for your time. If anybody's interested in signing up for our workshop coming up um, next week, uh, not next week, in two weeks, actually, or less, May 11th at 8 p.m., you can go on to jewishpeabody.com slash orchids to sign up to hear more tips and tools from Yochanan Halter. Manucha, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye.